0: Welcome to the redacted Recover Your Mind Podcast. During During this podcast, podcast, you'll hear things that'll scare you, intrigue you, and make you doubt reality. But I assure you, none of this is made up for propaganda. This is where reality draws the truth, broadcasting from a secure location in Traverse City, Michigan. This is the Redacted Recover Your Mind Podcast.
1: Here's your host, Mitchell O'Brien.
0: Welcome back to Redacted Recover Your Mind. I am Mitchell O'Brien. I have Lucas O'Brien with us here today. And we got a couple questions from the listeners. One of them very close to me and the other one not so much. wanted to remain anonymous. But Lucas and I are going to go over that. But first, we're going to check in with Luke. How are you doing, man?
2: I'm doing pretty well.
0: Thanks for inviting me back again after our three and a half day podcast we did last week. <laughs> it was a long one. So long that <laughs> YouTube said, no, we don't want it. We <laughs> um, can still get it on RSS or a couple of the other platforms. So it's there. It was good. If you need, got some time you wanna kill, then listen to what we had to say. We
1: what good. does YouTube know? I mean, yeah. <laughs> they're gonna
0: they're gonna kick us off for saying the COVID word eventually anyway. Oh, but
2: I know they'll kick us off for a lot of things eventually. <laughs> <laughs> Google doesn't like you don't say the nice things they want you to say, so
0: so, have you had any cool duck experiences recently, you know, since the last one, or anything cool like that? Um, sadly, no. Mm. Other than, I mean, I've seen
2: a few ducks. My wife and I went on a walk on Christmas, and we saw a few. Same lake. Probably the same ducks. Just not as many of them. There are a lot of Camarants, or I think that's how they're pronounced.
0: you have those down there? they
2: like... Yeah, they actually have them in Michigan. I saw them. I saw one in Manistee once. They're one.
0: on the, they're on the bay now. They weren't when we were kids. Oh, but really? They are now. Yeah. No, they, they weren't. They totally weren't. Yeah. Well, it's because
2: global well, warming. That's why it's fifties and in, in December up there.
0: And I've always called them cormorants, but camera. I don't know why I give that. I, don't, I don't. know how.
2: They, how they yeah.
0: Are they all black down there? Are they black and white? Because I know there's black and white ones. Um, they're
2: kind of a range from like brown to black. Um but this lake there were like thirty or forty cameras or comrades whatever. You
0: usually see like um, two or three. I think I've seen five or six on the pier one time. Um but for people who don't know what kind of birds these are they're they're interesting they're kind of like a duck and a penguin and a pelican all wrapped into one the color of a crow yeah
2: so. <laughs> yeah and they make really weird noises so there were like 12 of them sitting on this like fish feeder thing that they have on this lake like because it's like a fishing spot and they do a lot of like um not a state park or something but they do a lot of educational stuff with with school kids, and so I think it's like to bring in fish for that the whole purpose. And it's a man made lake, anyway. So I'm like, they want to bait their fish, do whatever they want. They put them there. Um, so I think they there's the a cedar thing, and there were like 12 to 15 of these birds on it, and they're all like it, you know, sunning themselves with their wings out and stuff, but they're making the weirdest sound like this deep, like throaty gurgly, almost roar like sound huh. that but it was like really quiet and it, like J- Jen and i look at each other and we're like if i didn't know any better i would think there's a dragon somewhere
1: <laughs>
0: like and it's coming out of this like eight pound bird you know um it's kind of crazy have you ever heard a swan make a noise
2: I don't know
0: if I have, actually. I have never been, I, I've always been told to be afraid of swans and how they can get aggressive and their wings are so strong they can break a man's leg or whatever. So I, don't, I haven't gotten really close to any. I was volunteering at a shelter here um, locally and we're outside with some of the guests talking and all of a sudden I heard this really weird noise. You know, it's. It was, this would have been early winter, late fall. So seeing a V of ducks flying over, or a V of you know Canada geese are really common over you know around here, and and that's that's a really common sight, especially around that time of year. Mm-hmm. All of a sudden, I hear like a and that's a terrible, terrible rendition of it. It's a little creepier <laughs> than that. But I'd never heard that before. And then over this big building becomes this V of exactly 12 swans flying. Honestly, I don't think I've ever seen
2: a swan fly.
0: I have seen swans fly very rarely. There were two of them, and they they say they, like, mate for life and all that, and you see that when they're nesting and everything. But they flew over our, our house that we grew up in years ago. I was like, holy crap, I've never seen a swan fly. But they weren't making noise. These ones were just chatterbugs, and they made the strangest. Like, I was was expecting something goose-like. Kind of honkish. Yeah. (laughs) Well, and I'll tell
2: you, after raising geese, for one, people think geese are super, super scary. Just like everything else, they're more afraid of you than you are of them. And they do this intimidation thing where they make a bunch of noise and run at you with their wings out. Mm-hmm. And if you just stand there, they stop and run the other way. <laughs> it's like, oh, they're not afraid of us. and It's like, it's almost a playful thing too, when they know you, because like we raised them from chicks on this whole farm. And when they know you, they, they weren't doing it to scare me, because they knew it didn't scare me. It never scared me. I, I never flinched. I never, you know, like I'd known them since they were little. And so they'd run up, and then they'd kind of run past me and turn and just, like, run around the field with their wings out, (laughs) fucking making a bunch of noise. But, like, I could see how it would look super intimidating if you didn't know what was going on.
0: You know, Um, I would like to ask you, do you have any formative memories of that happening in your young life? And I ask you this because you should.
2: I only have memories of it because I can picture third person what you told me <laughs> <laughs>
0: nice.
2: so you should tell the story <laughs> this, this is probably why I like
0: ducks there were probably ducks
2: standing around that were really nice and then you could yeah
0: I mean really there were chickens there were ducks there were guineas and the guineas are loud and annoying <laughs> but they're and those are like a miniature African chicken is kind of what I would call a guinea but they can fly a little better and our grandfather and then- had a small farm out in Lelanau County when we were growing up. And he always had at least those. He had rabbits for a long time and uh, cows and pigs for a little while, but not a lot. But we would always go out there like once or twice a year when we were really little. And I'm going to I'm gonna say Josh, our youngest brother, was not even born yet. Just it wasn't a thing. I think Sean was, so was so, probably like. Yeah, Three or four. You were probably about three or four. Yep. And so that made me eight or nine. Well, yeah, yeah roughly seven or eight. Um, and, and he always had, we were always terrified of his dogs because he had these Newfoundland dogs, the big black Newfoundland dogs that are about the size of a St. Bernard. And they were four times my size at the time. So there, I don't know. remember those either. You don't? No, I remember the Shetland Sheepdogs that Bert and Sue. Yeah, well, he,
2: just, just so everyone knows, Sue was the boy and Bert was the girl. He, <laughs> they had a boy named Sue, and no one knows where Bertress or something. I, I don't know.
0: I have no idea. But well, and they Sue, were really nice, and they were like you know, a foot and a half tall little fluff balls. Sue softballs. was the. Uh, it was it was spelled like the Sioux, like Sioux Falls, Sioux India or Indians. Yeah. Um, yeah, our grandfather was an interesting man. He was an interesting man. That's why we only went and saw him two, one or two times a year. Um, <laughs> yeah. We won't get into that, but he always had these big dogs. He always had one of them, and I think throughout my life he had I think three of them, and he only had one at a time. And he would have one, and it would pass away, and then he'd get another big Newfoundland. It might have only been two, but could have been. Three, and they were their name was always Sam, and they were just big black Newfoundland dogs. And when it's you know the size of a, a large, like a a big cat, you know, like bigger than a mountain lion. <laughs> and yeah. I'm eight years old, and you're three years old. Have a Bear. Yeah, like it's intimidating, right? Yeah. So, we're always trying to stay away from these dogs. These dogs didn't even care we existed. Like, they just didn't... They weren't even in our face or or anything like that. They were just lumbering around the yard or whatever. Well, they... You know, our parents and our grandfather would take us out to the back where the, like, the... uh, The birds were. And there was the geese and the ducks and the guinea and the chickens. And they'd just be like, all right, go be boys in the barnyard. And... I just have this one time you went out further than me and I was looking back towards the house and like the duck pond was like halfway, you know, further away and you were kind of that direction and then I just hear this loud, the the geese were just making all this noise and then you start screaming and I turn around and there's like a little path that went straight from like the duck pond area right back to the house, like straight down the little barnyard area and it was kind of downhill and um you're running for your life back my direction and i'm about halfway from you to the house and behind you is the big goose and two of his buddies right behind him with just like you just said their wings out flapping making all this kind of noise and the look on your face was i'm gonna die these things are gonna eat me (laughs) and i'm like what do we do and of course says like nothing like shut up (laughs) and these things were taller than you and there weren't special geese they're just white barnyard geese they weren't big or anything like this is just the you know how big you know the age we were as kids and um so it was kind of goose like that can be like 25
2: pounds though like it's a it's a big bird you know
0: Well, i would say like we went to to jenny and jay's and they had geese and these were smaller than that Pretty standard barnyard geese. So
1: Mm
0: -hmm. either way, they're causing a scene. You think you're going to die. I think you're going to die. And you're running right at me. And so now I'm like, so he's going to die, and he's bringing the danger to me. And out of nowhere, this black streak, which is this giant dog, comes out of left field and just grabs that, that big lead goose that's right, like chomping at your heels, grabs it by the neck. And the other two were like, shit, and eh, stop. And the goose keeps just like, throwing a fit. And the dog just stops and just slowly walks back to the pond. And the other two follow him. And he lets go. And I thought for sure it killed it. But he, he didn't. Like, it, it's how, how um, gentle those dogs are. But, yeah, basically yeah. saved your life. I do. Once you brought up
2: the name Sam, I do remember his dog Sam. I just, like, don't have a picture of him. I, I remember
0: the name, but he saved my life. Yeah, yep. so he or she—I'll never know. I'm pretty sure Sam's were all he's, because there were multiple <laughs> of them, and maybe they were messing with us. And there was only one Sam, but it was like through our entire childhood. So there was a big dogs that don't live as long as other dogs. So yeah, they live
2: like nine years if they live a real long life. Yeah. what I've heard, so. yeah. They're like six to eight years, I think, is is common because they're so big. But,
0: but I definitely yeah, thought this that. You is why there's that f- meme about
2: um, cobras chickens? who Cobra chicken. got a picture of a goose with like because geese have like teeth in their beak, uh-huh, uh-huh. not actually teeth, but they have like serrations in, inside their beak mm-hmm. to help them tear vegetation and stuff, and they look horrifying. I mean, they're really not, but <laughs> you can just like grab them by the neck and they're freak out and not know what to do like yeah i mean they're, they're like any bird
0: <laughs> well the <laughs> ones that jenny and jay's they were bigger than the ones w- we were growing up with at our grandfathers and they're and you've you've told me that they're even bigger species but these ones were rather sizable and they just they were the multicolored ones so they just looked a little more wild and then her son-in-law matt just grabs one like it's nothing and just brings it over. He's like, you guys want to pet it? I'm like, no, I'm good. Like, <laughs> he was cool on that side of the barnyard, and I'm cool on this side of the barnyard because I got a, just a real small, like, hobby farm, and, which is beautiful out there. And he get, brings it up close, and the thing's eye is just, like, staring into your soul, and it's got serrated beak. And it's, like, moving. And I'm just like, I'm like, We're, he was good there, man. Hey, <laughs>
2: sir. Sure? They're pretty, though. That one was a... uh it, It's like a brown Chinese, I think.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: It might be brown African, but we raised brown Africans and the ones that we had got a little bigger than the ones there. So I think they were the brown Chinese. They, they look pretty much the same. They're just one bigger and one smaller. Um, but they're pretty. They get like that knob and they've got the dark, like a dark beak with a white line um, of feathers right by it. And then like this like beautiful
0: tannish feathers that kind of like change color as they go down the body and stuff. Like they're, they're pretty birds. They are. And these ones weren't causing a problem to us, but it was funny. You can tell that all geese kind of have a little bit of an attitude problem because he just walked <laughs> yeah. around with it and let everybody pet it and all the kids and everything. And then he took it back to where all the other geese and ducks were. And as soon as he let it down, it's like it had to bully something right away to feel masculine again. <laughs> <laughs> It was like, what? You think I'm going to mess with you? It was like pushing a duck around. And I was like, just, I think I thought it was funny. It just always reminds me of that time. I hear you screaming on grandpa's barnyard. (laughs) And I turn around and see you running for your life. And I just feel like there's got to be a formative memory in there for you somewhere. (laughs) Well, that was where my trauma started, I think. So Probably, yeah.
2: What led me to drink later in life
0: subconsciously
2: <laughs> yeah my wife loves geese she's like after raising ducks and geese I'm, I'm just totally set on ducks which i was before anyway but she loves the geese and the geese are like really curious and inquisitive they're really intelligent and you can tell from the time they're babies like you open up we had them in this little shed you open up the doors and they'd all look over and they'd stick their heads out and kind of honk at you and walk over. And if you talk, they'd start honking at you. And if you stop, they'd stop and just look at you. And you started talking and they started honking at you. And it was like they were trying to talk to you. It was really cute.
0: That's kind of funny. I didn't know
2: that. Won- it- and we didn't know any of that until we raised them. Um, and then, but like she walks east now. So we'll have them someday. And I would chase him around the yard screaming at them. So it'll be like the opposite.
0: And... <laughs> This is payback from when I was a child. Your ancestors.
2: Yeah. <laughs> Your ancestors versus mine, and mine are winning, okay? And then they will eat one Christmas goose, and then they'll all know. They'll be like, okay, don't piss them off.
0: <laughs> Christmas goose, yeah. <laughs> I want you guys all to behave. But So we got off on a little bit of a <laughs> – that wasn't even a rabbit trail. That was just a, a fun trip down traumatizing memory lane. Um, I think tangent.
1: Let's turn to that one. <laughs> yeah. Well, it kind
0: of amazes me that you're just so cool with geese, and maybe, maybe you've had and you had a come to Jesus moment with be, being able to be around birds like that. Because I just swore that, be going through that as a child, you would just be like, "I'm good with geese." A lot of people like almost drowned when they're babies or little kids, which you did that too. You've had a really. And great I day. like water. So yeah. <laughs> um, you're the only who one. Knows? out of all of us that grab the boiling water off the stove and burn <laughs> <Just> <laughs>
1: and
0: I cook more than the rest of us. The- yeah. You don't let it. Burn I'm really down. just a contradiction. That's it. <laughs> Yeah. You're just, you're just really good at unknowingly doing your shadow work. I think is what it is. Uh- <laughs> that's it, probably it. Yeah. And, you know, the thing
2: is the geese might be like, if I had more interaction with geese as an adult, um, Wild geese, because like I just always stayed away from. Them. They're big birds. You stay over there. I'll stay over here. We'll be fine. You know, like it's how I am. A most but I'll admire you from afar, and leave you alone, and you leave me alone. Huh. And then raising them from an egg. Well, not from an egg. They were dropped off as chicks, but yeah, or gossips as they would be called. And they, um, I think that kind of the fear out of it so by the time they're like charging at me and so they, they had been doing that when they were eight inches tall too <laughs> throwing their little nubs of wings out running around honking and so it was like oh this is just what you do when you're excited
0: <laughs> you know maybe but that's it was what really was happening honey. when we were kids is they just wanted like a hug they were excited to see you They're like oh a little person that's amazing and we just thought they were trying to murder murder you and yeah. terrified And then the dog was like, oh, no, miscommunication. I better, you know, smooth out the situation. And and so that's what happened. Yeah. Or the dog was like, hey, something's moving.
2: Attack it. (laughs) Either way, it worked out. (laughs) And I'm going to make it all philosophical now. What you just said there is the same problem that we have with human beings. Because we're like, oh, you look different than me. And you talk different than me oh, and we speak the same language, but I can still barely understand you because your accent is, you have a weird accent because I obviously don't, you. Um, your culture is different than mine and then we're like, okay, H, let's blow you up.
0: Yeah. yeah, that's about it. I've had, I've <laughs> fought so many triggers against words over the last year, year and a half. It bothers me how triggered people, especially religious people, like, all right, guys, you're not loving somebody if you just go on full attack mode. Um, and I was talking with somebody that you and I both know very dearly That's that paints a lot, especially in the church. And they were making a painting where there was this person looked kind of weak and confused, and then it was surrounded by, like, warriors with shields. And it was a a story, or like a... The symbolism was you come around new believers in the Christian faith in with your shields going with the um what is it what's the shield and the the armor of God I forget
2: no I should remember but yeah I don't I don't either hear.
0: and I have a notebook somewhere around here that has it listed but because <laughs> I think the armor of God thing is really cool but um I can have it looked up in like a couple seconds. Well, if you want to, you can, but I came up to him and I asked him to, to describe it to me. And and he told me that I was like, that's really cool. I wish we did that. He's like, well, that's what we're supposed to do. I was like, well, my experience and you know, by reading or reading, by listening to this podcast and you're going to know that I'm spiritual, I believe in God, Jesus, I have my own older translations of words that I prefer to use. Um. From the older scriptures But Religion A lot of people would mistake me for a religious person It's not I don't like most Modern or all Modern day religions It's just there's something wrong with all of them And that's kind of why I started to do this And brought Lucas on board Is because we're trying to smooth stuff out Piece things together to find out what we're actually Supposed to be doing or believing um, So So when he told me it was, you know, it was a confused new believer being protected by, like, warrior, you know, seasoned believers with their shield from the armors, the armor of God. Um, it was just like, I wish that would happen because my experience with believers is they come at you with the sword. They don't come around you with the shields. And I think what you're painting is a shift that needs to take place. And obviously they didn't. They didn't agree with me, but I don't. Yeah. Th- this is also somebody who conforms to, you know, a certain belief and just sticks with it and doesn't have a very open mind. So I, I couldn't really expect them to, to, you know, understand me. Did you look up the reference? Yeah, it's because
2: um, it's in Ephesians 6. Mm-hmm. I actually flipped away from it, but it's um, in my translation, it says it belief. Most translations say faith. Um, faith and belief are they use the term belief because faith in because of its religious connotation can hold a lot of things that it actually doesn't really mean right um, so they use the term belief in here whenever it's faith but, um, um, I wrote a blog the shield of belief which you still have the power to quench all the burning arrows of the wicked one
0: mm-hmm.
2: so when you are fired at your faith which you see
0: and that's kind of the, the picture he was trying to paint was there are these burning arrows coming out of the sky and it was like fire all around and then there was a scared person surrounded by all of these guys with shields. Kind of look like Spartans. Um, See, you know, what I wish the,
2: the church would do is a new believer believes and steps in and they hand them a shield and teach them how to use it. Mm-hmm. Because that's what Ephesians says not that we all need to come around to you and protect you that we need to teach you how to do this now. And there's a meantime, protect them in the interim kind of thing. But like you can put a shield in their hand, day one. teach somebody to start using
0: it, right? That's what it should look like. I've had it explained to me like, well, you gotta be pay. careful because there, are, there are stuff that, you know, new believers shouldn't know until so you have to be guided. I'm like, "Eh, I don't, I don't like that. That doesn't feel good to me. Like, well, and that's why a lot of religion, most, if not all
2: religious institutes make you a slave to the religion under a hierarchy of, of man that whether they want to say so or not, they get control and power out of it. Right. Um, money and, and, and influence and things like that. And, that's not what the Bible teaches as a structure for the church. Um, And like, as I'll reference more and more out of this Bible that I have that um, I finally got back from Michigan recently. um, I really like this translation because it uses a different term for the church. I don't remember what it is offhand, but it's um, the congregation or something like that, where it's like, it doesn't use the term church because again, church holds so many, Ideas that aren't actually biblical ideas—they've been added on over the years—and they put you under this hierarchy of like, there's a holy man at the top, and they're perfect, and you need to like, you know, kiss their shoes all the time, and let him kiss your baby, and uh. sleep with your wife, you know, your children, and whatever, whatever else he wants—it doesn't matter because he's holy. And give them all your money, even though you can't afford to, you know, pay for food for your family because of um guys-nomics. That will get us kick off YouTube, too. Mm-hmm. Um, we'll call it Brandonomics. For the people that know the whole Brandon thing.
0: Um, <laughs> Let's go, Brandon.
2: <laughs> yeah. I listen to a, a podcast. Where the guy every like he talks about political stuff and stuff going on in the world, and mostly he talks about homesteading actually. But then occasionally he'll do this political podcast, and he always refers to him as Brandon. Nice. And like, if you didn't know if you hadn't heard him explain it and you didn't know the context, you'd have no idea what he's talking about. You'd be like, What? Because he always just says Brandon, playing his day. Like, there's no explainer or anything. <laughs>
0: great. I dig it. I might, I might adopt that, but. To pedal back into I, you gave me a perfect opportunity for a shameless plug. And you were talking about the difference between belief and faith and how they're almost interchangeable in some of the translations. And I wrote Mm -hmm. a blog about this this summer. Um, If anybody is interested in looking into those blogs, you can go to 217recovery.com. There are podcasts about perspective and life and recovery and blogs for many of the peer recovery coaches and people here at the organization where I am employed during my day life. I'm a night And then there's truly inspired books of art by Mitchell. <laughs> they call blog. That was my first blogging experience too. So if you go back to the beginning, you can really watch progression and I'm not gonna say I'm great, but I'm better than I used to be. <laughs> um, but there were some things that I just I felt led to 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 write about, and that was one of them was the difference between you know, or not even the difference, but what is faith? I heard somebody one time talk about it and describe it, and they described faith as belief with expectation. I think that's yeah, I'll put it. and it's like one step, like you believe something, but not just like, yeah, I believe there's a thing. it's like you and it I'm not a smart man, so it's harder for me to describe. <laughs> um, i I've been reading a book um that talks about faith a lot,
2: and it's specifically about healing, and I've been learning a lot in it that's very interesting. It's very different from the viewpoint that I was raised with. Um, that's the church that Mitchell and I grew up at. That's how they would have described it as faith with expectation. The way this book describes it is it's pretty much that, but they explain what it means by expectation and it's faith with expectation that God will come through with what he said he was going to do. And that faith is literally... Knowing the promises of God by knowing the word of God in scripture. And then believing that he's going to do what he said. So when they say like, you looked to something with faith or like they sat down with faith that they'd be able to eat that night or something. It's like, it's because it says that he'll provide for his children. So there's a promise and that's where the faith comes from. You can trust your father to provide for you because he promised that he would. You can trust. Healing because he promised that you could be healed. He, you know, you can trust that he'll forgive you of your sins because he promised that he would do that through the blood of Christ. And like, there's the, all these promises in scripture, and the faith is what it used to sing that super cheesy song, Standing on the Promises of God.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: That's faith. Mm-hmm. That's what faith really is. And, and to have faith in any religious system is kind of the same thing. You're having faith in the God because the relationship anybody has with their God is, their God, your God gives you something for what you give to them. It's a reciprocal thing. That's, you know, whether it's Buddhism or Hinduism or Christianity or, or, um, whatever. (laughs) Trying to think more of my, I've been up since 4.30.
0: That's enough. So great.
2: That's enough for the example. That's not working right. that much? Uh, yeah, <laughs> so enough examples. you get the example. Yeah. Um, wh- no matter what it is, there's a reciprocal thing there where, where the God promises you certain things and it's a, I'll do this if you do that. Um, Some religions say, I'll give you power if you sacrifice human beings to me. I don't think those are good ones. You should probably stay away from those ones. Yeah, I don't
0: agree with um, that.
2: Yeah, don't do that. And I'd say to each their own, but like, no,
0: just get away
2: from We've. But you get the point, you know. That's and I thought that was really good, where it took my understanding of faith just a little bit further. That it's like, oh, that's what they're always saying and it was, you know, belief of expectation. Okay.
0: No, I really like that. Um, and I, and in my blog, I go into it a little bit deeper too, because that was something that upset me. With growing up religious, was when I had the how do you do certain things? You know, how do you just give your problems to God? How do you lay them at His feet? How do you, you know, they, they give a lot of these awesome sounding terms of how you live a Christian life. And the answer was always, well, you, just, you have faith. Okay, well, what is that? Well, it's like belief. It's just, I never got And maybe you got into better discussions Than I did I never got any good explanations And it led me to Go away From the church And then every time I met somebody Who Claimed to be Christian I for a long time Kind of got this Oh well it's one of these People again People that say things mm-hmm. that don't mean it. You know? That's yeah. just how I saw Christians. Because, like, you can't... You, they're, eventually, you get to a point where you're asking questions and the answers become hollow. And there's no meaning to it, almost. It's like, well, you just have to have faith in Jesus. And believe.
2: Yeah.
0: And this is by the same people
2: who tell you that Jesus is truth. And all truth comes from him. And he is the answer to everything, well, these are also which I actually oh, believe. But you have that has to have context, and that has, that means that if you have an unanswered question, there is one in there, and you can't just say, "Well, that's where faith comes in." It's like, no, faith comes in when you have no food. And you have no means of getting food because all the grocery stores are closed and like some catastrophe happened. You can't go get food. You forage for everything in your area. Your family is going to starve and food shows up on your plate. Like I've heard stories of of crazy things like that happening. Um, Or there's one about an orphanage that they didn't have any food to feed. It was a a small one, but they they were trying to feed these kids. And they sat down at the table to pray and got a knock on the door and I can't remember, it was a bread truck or a dairy truck. And they said, our truck broke down and our, everything we have is going to be bad because the refrigerator went out. Could you use any of this food?
0: <laughs> and they had food for days. And, so, and it's like, that was, that was fake. Story, <laughs> stories like that. To me, are just as miraculous as like when um, Elijah was—I don't know if he was on the run or in hiding or something—with the yeah. oil up in the mouth thing that didn't what was just like constantly refilling itself. This kept pouring out of it, and it should have been empty, and it, and it wasn't. Um, well, and there, he went to a, a widow. Yeah, that one with her child. Ooh, yeah.
2: And they they had just enough to make like, and she was like, we're going to make like a half portion of bread for each of us and we're going to eat it and die. And so he's standing outside her door and goes, okay, well feed me first. (laughs) (laughs) It's just like, what? Who does that? (laughs) Yeah. And so she knows he's a prophet though. She lets him in. She feeds him. And then has more to make more food the next day and makes bread for them every day for like a week or something. And then has, it's like by the end of it, like she's got more stock than she had had in like months yeah. because she did what she was supposed to. And like, I don't know if that one was actually faith. That was a, I mean, it was faith on Eliza's part, not on the woman's part.
0: I feel like she was, it like, crazy, was like, we're going to starve to death. I feel like it was both <laughs> because who goes, my son and I are dying and because I thought it was her son because he heals them too um, I think yeah. we're dying we have no food so we're going to give you the last of it ah, that's the world we live in like, well I mean no, we're gonna try if figure you have enough food
2: for one more meal and then you know you're going to die after that
0: because you have no means of getting any more food then like, yeah, why not give it away I don't know I feel like most people have this inherent survival instinct you know, it comes from the flesh side of us, where you know we can, yeah, if we can just get that little bit far, maybe we'll be able to find something. Maybe we, we'll, you know, something like that. And so for her to go, okay, and maybe she, maybe she knew he was a prophet. You know, the prophets were, I, you call it famous back then, they were known, but that still takes faith. <laughs> like, yeah, you and know,
2: it's like Especially if she's come at it from that angle, like that, that would
0: definitely, uh, definitely take tremendous faith. Multiple, multiple faith in that one. Multiple faith. But and then I mean, you can go.
2: We're talking about food, the feeding of the five thousand, um, yeah. which is since there are five thousand men, and people always say, "Well, they are probably women and children too." I'm like, or it could have said men and like mankind too because in Hebrew if you have a, a auditorium of a million women and there's one man standing in it they use the masculine pronoun <laughs> instead of the feminine and most languages are like that and have been like that for all of human history that like that because most creation stories or everyone that I've heard of there was man and then woman and man came first, and then there was a woman, and that's why the man's the head of the household. And there's you know, roles and things that they that we follow and whatever. This is hey, how we get canceled.
0: And, this is right here. This yeah, is how you get canceled. Yeah, they, they yep,
2: talking about traditional roles and <laughs> in a family. How dare you? <laughs> um, we are true anarchists. That's what we believe in uh, uh, standards and. Uh, a hierarchy in things and roles and that people are happier when they follow them. Now not when they're abuse, make that very, very clear. <laughs> a lot of people abuse them and yeah. that's not right. Well, <laughs> because like the Bible teaches that a man as a leader, what is all writes about it and he says, um Wives respect your husbands in the Lord for this is good. And it says this little thing about women and respecting their husbands, and then yes. churches like teach them that a ton. They don't teach you about the much longer passage right after that. that that's says, what I'm saying. Husband.
0: That's what I'm saying, dude. This <laughs> I've talked about this in my my spirit of recovery group that's on Saturdays here, and I just mm-hmm. and it was awesome because the days that it was really put on my heart to talk about it, like from the moment <laughs> I woke up that day, I needed to talk about this, and then I get here and like seven women showed up. I mean, our groups aren't huge so that's like a lot. So I'm like the only dude. And I'm sitting here I'm like guys this is a spiritual group you know I like the bible this is what we're talking about today and I it pisses me off. And and that's exactly how it is. I would I would there are hundreds if not thousands of sermons weekly on that scripture where it talks yeah. about women being submissive to their husbands, and most of the sermon is about that. But yeah. the bigger part in the Bible where you're reading this, it's like at least four times the size of the, the women's side of things is how men have to be respectful and love their women f- to expect that from them. Just like, and it says just like Christ loves the church. Well, it's just like our creator loves us.
2: So well, it, it specifically says, it says husbands love your wives. And it just after that, I don't, it's not word for word, but it says laying down your life for them just as Christ loves his church.
0: Mm-hmm. That means everything you do, you do with her in mind. you
2: do to death, yeah. even if it means you dying for her, yep. doesn't require that as a wife requires that of the husband and that i actually heard one really good sermon on that one time where they really drove that point like let's talk about the male side of this because guess what you're called to a much higher standard than disrespect, like,
0: right it's, it's like a big big deal and there's i always say it's it's a bigger part of the bible for a reason and it yeah. just gets blown out of proportion every single time and i haven't heard any good any any good sermons on it personally. I've heard where they talk about the women being submissive and what that means like or what that means and what that looks like and then at the very end it's like, yep, and it also says here, Men you have to love your wives. And that's it. And it it happened in the church we grew up in, it happened in the church that I, I frequent now. It happened I've I've seen it on online sermons and other places where I visited. And it just, that makes me angry. That is not what is taught. And
2: it also doesn't teach the, it doesn't show the true picture in scripture because it talks about us being the bride of Christ. Um, it also talks about us being the body of, the, of Christ which kind of shows the oneness of husband wife that whole thing to becoming one flesh. And so as the bride of Christ, we are called to submit to his authority and leadership, and to serve him with complete respect to his authority and leadership. Um, and there's in that section or in a similar section of scripture, they point out that Abraham and Sarah, the the ones who were promised everything else in scripture, but way before Moses, way before the tribes, all that was Abraham, and Abraham got he knew God and he was giving these promises. And Sarah referred to him as her Adam Nye, which in modern day American would be Lord. I'm not saying you go around and call your husband Lord, but you know, but like that's the kind of respect and um reverence she had for her husband and his role. And Abraham was kind of a badass if you read the story. Like he was uh-huh. he was definitely deserving of respect, And it seems like he other than multiple wives, he was pretty good to sir That was the thing. Yeah, back that, was then, a, but
0: that was the thing that was cool back then. That's just not new. Yeah, you
2: know? she also told him to have a baby with her maid, which is weird. But anyway, different culture. I don't understand. Let's not
0: get into women telling men what to do in the Bible, because that's what screwed it all up in the beginning. <laughs> right? <laughs> All right, you give your sermon about how women
2: submit to their, well, <laughs> their husbands now.
0: <laughs> I'm just saying, like that's that's the whole point I was getting at. They didn't sound like it. I, that sounded bad, but the whole point was Adam could have said no, but the naked lady in the yeah. garden gave him an apple and he ate out of it or ate off of it. That's just yeah. it's what happened. Was an apple, and that know.
2: is true. But it also right after that says that Adam sinned it doesn't say
0: he did no i know and that's what i'm saying is adam should have said no we don't do this and even though she already ate from it he could have been like no and just saved out maybe maybe they take her out and he got a new wife i don't know how it would have happened that way because it didn't happen that way but abraham but could have been like at, no i'm not doing that look at the picture of scripture if he said no and didn't
2: give in to the temptation he may have been able to be a redemptive covering For his wife just as Christ is for the church
0: It does say that somewhere else too um, Paul talks about that Where you're not supposed to be Unequally yoked but if A believer is married <laughs> to an unbeliever Then they are both saved Because of the way that marriage works Yeah This podcast I you understand that This podcast went a way different way Than I wanted it to But it's not Yeah prepared. you want to touch on those questions Yeah <laughs> <laughs> so preparing for the podcast, we talked about
2: doing questions, and we were like, well, and from the questions, I'm sure we'll have plenty to talk about, and here we are like an hour in almost. Let's start with geese. And the
0: question. <laughs> we'll start with ducks, and turn into camarons and then geese, so, <laughs> and now we're here, husband and wives. Yep. We're because Bacons. it all connects. I don't know how, but it did. 12 so. degrees of separation from Kevin Bacon. Um yeah. I think it's six Well, pounds, because but. you can
2: make bacon out of duck. That's really tasty.
0: So We're not going back there. We're we're gonna do the questions. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, you mentioned Moses a moment ago and this is how I'm gonna segue. We had a listener okay. and He wrote a segue. He may have at one point, i I doubt it. I tried to write the segue. Well I meant, I meant Moses, but Oh. Yeah, I don't think so. Right? I think it was a basket made out of reeds but um and possibly chariots at one point because he was kind of like a prince but anyway we were talking in like two podcasts ago we we mentioned how the creator father Yahweh, who people will call god in the newer translations um is considered an all-consuming fire and we talked a little bit about what that means and in the end and how the golden gems and precious metals of who we are as people you know, using some symbolism there gets stays after becoming um, exposed to the all-consuming fire. And then the, the wheat and the chaff gets burned away or something like that. I have terrible memory, but the question was, if God is a all-consuming fire, why wasn't Moses consumed when he came into contact with him on the mountain? It happened multiple times. There was the burning bush. Um, and
2: I, I have a very simple answer for this.
0: I know. I told them this, and they're like, "I want to hear it on the podcast." So here we are, Justin. Anyway,
2: <laughs> unnamed viewer.
0: <laughs> the other so one's unnamed not viewer,
2: I guess. Or, yeah. The other,
0: yeah. the other question is is anonymous, but um, no. And, and he had, and he's a he's a loyal listener, and I appreciate that. But I like to make fun of him because we're coworkers. So,
2: um, so my simple answer is if you just take the time to read every book of the Bible straight through five times including all that scriptural text you'll figure it all out so like why ask that question no but um <laughs> <laughs> seriously yeah, that, that would take you a very very long time um <laughs> but in all seriousness um I've said this before and I'm going to say it again. And I don't say that to sound condescending um, because it's not a, I don't know of any singular denomination that truly holds this view. They hold a Trinitarian view and they like, say the father is the son who is the spirit who is the same. He is not. And they circle back both ways. And they all submit to each other, but they don't, because they all submit to the father, but somehow at all. And, and honestly, Trinitarianism, the way that it's taught, I don't think is what the Bible represents. Though there are, that there is the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Right. I'm not saying that there's not three separate. I don't think it's the way it's represented most of the time in the church. I think it's very clear that the Father is the supreme authority, that the Father interacts with creation through His Spirit, that the Son was given all of the Father's authority in the flesh. And I would say before that is which is what we're going to get to in just a second. Um, and that he is the one that created this creation through the authority of the Father and has always ruled and reigned over it and that it was never the Father. It was always the Son. Oh, but that <laughs> I know. <laughs> and in a sense though it was the Father because the Father gave all authority to the son. So everything the son is doing is in complete authority of the father. It's like if a king had a son who is a prince and said, Prince, I'm going to send you to this faraway land. And I want you to take that land and make a perfect copy of what we do here. And someday in the end, when your kingdom is established, I'll come see how you did. And then you can rule there. Now rule here. However, that looks, or we rule together. Or you know, I I don't know exactly. I think it's rule together from what Revelation says. Mm-hmm. It it almost seems to say that when God comes down in Revelation, it's like it came down for the first time.
1: Huh.
2: It's interesting the way that it's worded, and that is when the King, when Christ returns, and the kingdom is reestablished or is fully established in the earth, and a new heaven and new earth are made, and the Father comes down to this new, perfect creation to say, son, I'm well pleased with you. Like that that's what it, it seems to represent. Mm-hmm. Um, and there are people that you, you'll find that viewpoint out there um, if you really study it, but most people don't read Revelation because they think it's scary. It is. And it can be. <laughs> it is, but it's not. It's also because it's really the revelation of, of Jesus Christ and right. who he really is. And if you read it from that aspect, it'll open up things to you in the rest of scripture that you absolutely wouldn't believe. And I I can say that boldly because in prayer one day, I got a a clear as day word from Jesus himself. And the only way I can tell you I know that is because I knew that at that moment. It, It was different than other things that I heard and I was sure. And he said, read Revelation not as an end times book, but as a revelation of who I am, and it completely changed something. It was amazing, huh. um, and I didn't learn what I'm about to tell you through that, but I did learn it after that. And I think that had something to do with it. Um, so I think one we'll we'll touch a couple scriptures real quick. Um, one of them is Deuteronomy 4:24. And I I misspoke when I said that it was in Isaiah. So I apologize for misspeaking. There are places in Isaiah where it talks about him using an all-consuming fire or being like an all-consuming fire. But in Deuteronomy 4.24, it says, For Yahweh your Elohim is a consuming fire, a jealous elf. And obviously there's context to that and stuff. But it, it... I am this. It's one of those like I I am statements. I guess it's a he he is statement. Um, And then it's repeated later on by Isaiah multiple times and probably in other places. Those are just the ones that come to mind.
0: Yeah, it's an I Um, statement. Those are, I'm learning about being assertive at work and you use I statements.
2: Yes. They hold your authority when you use an I statement and they speak of your character. For better or for worse.
0: So not to throw God us it. not to throw us Always. completely off here, but the beginning of what you were saying here, I just kind of understood it as, um, Jesus is the God formerly known as Prince. Is what we were getting at. That was like five yeah. minutes ago. So.
2: his name's a symbol. Yeah, <laughs> you can't treat the prince. Yeah, that's why no one really knows. Is it Yahusha? Is it Yeshua? Is it Yahushua? Is it Jesus? Is it the Jesus? Well, we
0: don't really know. Just pick one. <laughs> <laughs> Typically, if you you ask to talk to him, he doesn't really care how it's pronounced.
2: Yeah, you'll you'll get to him either way. Any any of the ways because language is interesting like that, and he understands that it's very it, he messed up language at Babel. Again, read Genesis if you haven't. Power Babel, he messed up language, so he knows that it can't make sense fully because even ancient Hebrew that came after that isn't the perfect language as much as people like think it is mm. like people, there are people out there that'll say it's the original language. I'm, I don't think that's true. I think the original language is a compilation of all of them, which means that you have aspects of like the Queens, British and Mandarin Chinese huh. in that original language. And like, I don't want to sound really racist, but the clicky languages from Africa.
0: Yeah. I don't know what they're called either, but I'm tracking.
2: Yeah. Like there are aspects of all of that in the original language. Um, I think because he split languages at Babel by people groups. And like, why wouldn't he just split aspects of the language? And I guess they created completely new, concepts that uh, i mean
0: that's not that crazy but i need to read the whole story of babel in context i haven't done that like i've read it straight through i've read little bits and pieces but because i just have this strange intuitive feeling that there's symbolism in there
2: a little bit there's
0: just a little bit of symbolism i mean there's you know one or two symbolic things that happened in the Bible, but there's symbolism that's what? pertaining to a thought that I have. And it's the, the original language is closer to maybe less of a physical language and more of that. Um, I've been saying psionic a lot lately because of the TV shows that I watch, but telepathic understanding language that's really common out there in the cosmos. They're saying, people are
2: and that's possible I mean, it it doesn't say it just says that he confused their languages and right before that it says that if we don't do this and like so ancient people they'll tell you that ancient people were stupid and that they were building a tower to the sky so they could like try to break through the firmament which we'll get to that in a minute that's the next question um (sighs) I don't think that's what it is if you look back like all the ancient technologies like the ancient alien stuff stuff like that like it almost seems like they were building like because if you actually look at the measurements they give for these towers or this tower the bricks how it would take it was like took like two years to get the bricks towards the top of the tower from the bottom of the tower. Or something ridiculous like that. It's in Jasher. It, it um, explains it a little more. And it said, like, if someone fell off the tower and died, they kept working. If a brick fell and broke, it would mourn for days because of how much work it was to make that brick and get it to where it was. Huh. Um, it just, like, ridiculous stuff. And it, it seems like they were making potentially a super weapon or a launch device or something. Yeah. Um, and because they're their idea was that they were going to break into heaven and kill God and take over his throne. Do you think
0: you're going to say, no, I already know this. Do you think the tower of Babel? Cause they say that the pyramids are older than Egyptian, the actual Egyptians. Yeah. And I've heard a lot of uh, like, ancient astronaut theorists and and stuff like that. And people talking about ancient um, civilizations outside of the, the modern historic paradigm talk about how most definitely like the Sphinx, a couple of other things in the pyramids are older than ancient Egypt. Do you think that could be remnant of the tower of Babel? Kind of sounds like it, especially when we start Um, talking about how long it took stuff to get to the top and, what technologies they had back then? If they were as primitive as people say,
2: um, not based on the the potential measurements, oh. um, it could be similar technology used for similar purpose. But we're talking something that went through the clouds, or okay. which like dwarfs the Great Pyramid. It, true. It's like something that was. It it says and I don't know if it says it in the English, it's been a long time since I read it, but it, within the Hebrew stuff that I've studied with this, it says like, it was like a city on, around and on this building. And it was like where all the peoples of the world came together. And it, it's really weird because it comes right after Noah. It's like the next story after Noah. So it's like, either there's a really big time frame from there, or somehow a bunch of people survived. Mm -hmm. Uh, I don't know. I don't want to get into all that with like the different flood theories and stuff, but like the way that this this thing is described is absolutely crazy. And the name Nimrod comes up. Oh yeah. Um, This is when Nimrod enters the scene and he's the first major world leader that's mentioned after the flood. Um, and by the way, every time they've tried to rule the world since then, they use the exact same blueprint, something around the lines of communism or something similar, which seems to be what was happening there as well. Um, Nimrod, they believe also went by a name in a different culture known as Gilgamesh. Mm Mm-hmm. And possibly Heracles. otherwise known as Hercules.
0: Well, I don't want to get into um, Nimrod too much because I want that to be like a, <laughs> another podcast because I heard yeah. some really interesting things about that guy recently. So I don't want to get into that too much. So we got... Yeah, there's some really interesting
2: stuff. We kind, right.
0: of, we kind of covered where the scripture talks about God being an all-consuming fire. The full question is... How did Moses survive that? And yeah. my answer was he wasn't exposed to the intensity. And we've, we we kind of touched on well maybe it wasn't actually God the Father, and possibly uh, pre-incarnate Yahusha or Jesus, so it wasn't the full all-consuming fire. Um, it's kind of how I interpret a little bit of what we've already said but i kind of see the burning bush or how they do it almost portal like and when i when i see it in my head and i've meditated on this that's it's almost exactly what it looks like and Mm -hmm. no moses actually can't look right at it but it says in the scripture something and i'm I'm not going to get the wording right so i'm just going to paraphrase but Moses asked to see him, and he said, "You can't. But I'll allow you to have a glimpse as I walk away." Yeah, and, and you can't be in my face; you be destroyed. Which brings me back to the talk that we've had before, and I don't think we've done it on the podcast, but about maybe we did, but I don't think so. Um, why shadow people? run out of the way when people see him and it's because yeah. what humans are in our creation, when we turn our face, it's like a, a shining light, but spiritually.
2: but I think that there's something to that and that's why you can tell when you're being watched. Right. It's like there, there's something about the gaze that it's like, it literally projects some sort of energy onto you. Um, even animals and stuff, you can tell when it, when you're being stopped or something like that by a predator. Um, you just get this feeling that something's watching you. Um, but it, I feel like it's stronger with people. It's, I, I have a really strong sense of that. It's weird. Mm-hmm. Um, where like I'll unknowingly, I'll, I'll like feel it and look someone directly in the eye, just straight to their eyes. Boom. And they always look and be like, oh, like, you noticed that I'm looking at him. It, it's really weird. It, and it happens to me a lot. It happened to me multiple times today at work. <laughs> um, like every time I'm around people, it happens quite a bit. And it, it's not like, it doesn't have to be someone staring at you or something. Like you glance at someone and then I'm like instantly lock eyes with them because it's like, I know they're looking at me and I, and I don't know. It's, it's a strange thing. But there is something to that.
0: I think they're the two things I just kind of, touched on are, are attached and it yeah it, it attaches at that point where we're created in this image so moses was able to get a glimpse of him but it had to had to be well like his back basically while he's walking walking away but i kind of see it like through this portal sort of thing yeah and i just think that the flesh part of Moses's being wasn't Able to it, it, too weak or something. I don't want to say weak, but couldn't handle the full. People like to umbrella the term with glory, but couldn't handle the whole everything. So, so the reason that Moses wasn't consumed was more because he wasn't exposed to the whole all-consuming fire. And it's more of an intentional gaze or direction.
2: But So let me touch on a couple of things that are interesting. Because when, I don't know the exact passage that Justin was thinking about when he brought this up. Right. But I know that there's a lot mentioned in Exodus. Exodus 19 is just before Moses goes up to receive the Ten Commandments. Um, in Exodus 20, he receives them. And it says that they need to surround the mountain. He's going up Mount Sinai and they need to surround the mountain with a barrier because if the people come up to the mountain, they will be destroyed. Mm-hmm. And only Aaron is allowed to come up with him, who is his brother who will later be anointed as high priest. And Aaron is from a pure Levitical line. And so is Moses.
0: Well, and that's what I was going to say. I, it's like I felt it as you're getting up to it. Is it because they're pure bloodlines and they don't have this. And we haven't talked about it a ton yet in real big depth, but I've been learning kind of elsewhere in the podcast world is mm-hmm. could have the other people been tainted with bloodlines from other races. And that sounds really racist, but what we're talking about is Nephilim bloodlines. Yeah. We're not we're
2: not talking races of people. We're talking races of beings. Yeah. I, I would call it an American hybridization or chimeric blood in some sort pretty much once you see it you can't unsee it that the bible is about a mistake an enemy who pushed the mistake who's hates mankind and is trying to destroy them because he knows that mankind is supposed to be the redemption of all creation which means he came against god the father
0: Uh
2: i don't want to do this i want i want your job and God probably laughed at him because there are places in the prophets he laughs in the faces of his enemies. <laughs> and so there's this defilement that happens in Genesis six, which is just for the story of Noah. And they defile it said all flesh was defiled. Not just humans, but all flesh. And I don't remember if it's Nefesh. I think it's the Hebrew word for living flesh, meaning like living breathing things. Right. All of it was defiled. Um, so your genetics are corrupted. It says that Noah was pure in his generations. What's that mean? They, they try to say, oh, he had no sin. Well, no one has no sin, first of all. Um, no human being since the fall has no sin. So he could have no iniquity though, which is genetic defilement passed down from your, your father, um, biblically. And that's where we get things like alcoholism and many other traits that are undesirable. Um, and this weird genetic mixing of the watchers, the fallen angels that mixed with man and made the Nephilim. And so all throughout scripture, you see these messed up bloodlines and you see these places where God tells his people to destroy everything man woman child and animal don't leave any of it and burn the ground when you leave. that seems kind of extreme right well there are I, other places where they go in and he says kill the men of war and take captive the women and children and you can take any animals you want
0: yeah and a lot of people like to throw that in the face of christians and say what kind of a god would do that what kind of what kind of a loving god would do that but what they don't get is these were literal abominations that were not even ever supposed to be in creation ever
2: and along those lines i mean we live in a western world where everything's been sanctified we'd like to call it more mm-hmm. sure but like David's mighty men, one of them is from a place, I think it was called Azero, or no, not Azero. I don't know. there's a city that he's from, and he's said to be from the clan of the Ariels, which were described as lion-faced men, or men with heads of lions. And so, now, in the most Bibles, it says, like, they're mighty men, or they're very fierce warriors, because obviously that's what they meant by men with lion heads. It couldn't be that they had lion heads. Well, look at the Greek mythology. It could have been that they had lion heads. I'm just throwing it out there. Um, well, in Egypt. And it could be. Hmm? In Egypt. Egypt. Yeah.
0: yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's a lot of
2: them. Any case drawings anywhere in the world or any ancient folklore of any native people anywhere in the world, um, they talk about chimeras, like this thing is all over the world. But yet, it's not in our what we're told history is. That this will get us kicked off YouTube
0: too.
2: <laughs> I feel like I we're trying. Be we'll picked, but if we say we're going to get kicked off enough, they won't. We'll, just out of spite, of it, you know, we're not. Uh, we gotta we're keep. Not, we're not gonna let that be right.
0: <laughs> they let Tim Alvarino well, hey, hey. back, so I feel like we have chances. Like if if we get kicked off, we just right. change the name and come back. It'll be fine. Yeah,
2: that'll work. we don't really need to be on YouTube anyway. There's plenty of other sources, so. Right. Um, but so we, we talked about the genetics and stuff, and that is a thing because there's, um, being clean and unclean is a, a major thing in scripture, and there's, that's what most of Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy is about, is being clean and unclean. Um, and Genesis 19 talks about making yourself clean, and there are ways that you are unclean. There are ways that you are like, um, what's what's the term I'm looking for? Ritually unclean. And then there are ways that you're like everyday unclean. Mm. And like the Bible, like having sex with your spouse would make you unclean. You weren't supposed to go into the temple after that until you washed yourself. Um, eating or butchering an animal, getting blood on your hands, Mm -hmm. you weren't allowed to go into the temple until you washed yourself. And the next day after you could go to the temple, um, things like that. And there's reasons for all that given in scripture has to do with cleanliness and being clean and unclean. And the term that they use in here is to be set apart. So to make yourself clean is to set yourself apart. To set yourself apart is what we translate into English as holy to be holy. Holy God is holy. Yeah. And so Moses was known as a holy man. Um, Aaron becomes a holy man. Here it talks about the priests and stuff and the people setting themselves apart to make themselves holy in preparation to hear the voice of God. Right. Um, then it comes to the mountain and there's this crazy verse in Genesis nineteen twenty four. Crazy. And it says, and he, just listen, it's not wild. This one's crazy. <laughs> and Yahweh said to him, come, because he's already went up the mountain to talk, to talk to him. He's like met with him in some way. he says, come, go down and then come up, you and Aharon or Aaron with you, but do not let the priests and the people break through to come up to, um, to Yahweh, which is weird. Because he said, Yahweh said this to him. So it almost seems like he's talking in third person. This could be a messenger. This could be two. I don't know. Right. It, contextually, there's a lot that we don't know. So I just want to throw that out there. But it says, But do not let the priests and the people break through to come up to Yahweh, because they had made a barrier around the mountain, lest he break out against them. Hmm. Which kind of weird. I kind have of a weird statement. Um, but it goes to what I talked about a few weeks ago when I, I think this points to that thing about he being a consuming fire because he is so radiant and perfect. You cannot come into his presence without being destroyed unless you are also set apart and holy. So Moses, as a genetically pure, set apart person He may have had divine protection here as well. I don't know. It doesn't say that, Mm -hmm. but for some reason, Moses and Aaron, who were supposed to be the two holiest men in the entire congregation of the children of Israel at the time who left Egypt, they were the only two that were supposed to go up the mountain. And I don't even think Aaron goes all the way up. I think there's another passage that says like Aaron wasn't allowed to the top or something. He had to stop part way or something like that. So Moses was the only one potentially allowed completely up there. He still wasn't allowed to see Yahweh, Like we talked about until he saw his back. And then it says that his face glowed for 40 days when he came off the mountain and that he had to wear a veil because he scared all the people. <laughs> it's just crazy. There's some crazy stuff in here and it's hard to explain. I don't know for sure. I think the reason to to finish the question pretty hard is I think the reason that Moses could go up the mountain and stand before God and not be completely destroyed other than the genetic things, other than setting himself apart and making himself pure. It was because it was the son of God in pre-incarnate form, not yet come in the body of a human as Jesus who held everything that is the character of the father, but in a form that can interact with man without completely destroying them.
0: And also I agree with that. I'm not going to change that at all, but, and they were the Holy set apart ones and they did things. To make them become that way, they were genetically set apart, and there were rituals like sacrifice and stuff like that. It sacrifice of the
2: animals, certain yep. cleansing rituals. There's, yeah, there, like to, I said, there was to it make them not to Your spouse for three days. Yeah, There was something about it. Like there's. Which, yeah. and,
0: and that gets put in when they start making temples and stuff moving forward where if you want to come into the Holy of Holies, this is what you have to do to be set apart. And then you can only do it one day a year, and, you know, and, and all that, and it, and it moves on. But I think what you're and saying, what said, yeah, and yeah, <laughs> and only this one guy. Um, and he
2: often dies So they tied a the rope to his ankle and bells around his ankle so that if they stopped hearing the bells, they'd pull him out by the rope, yeah. pull his body out. Because if anyone else went in there, they'd die too. Because they weren't set apart enough to go in there. Right. <laughs> yeah. It's there's some crazy stuff the Old Testament.
0: But basically, it's we're saying that there's a good possibility that it was pre-incarnate Yahusha who was standing in the authority of the all-consuming fire with all of those traits, but not the exact all-consuming fire. And Moses was genetically set apart and pure, and ritually or spiritually set apart for this to happen. And I want to throw one more thing out there. Didn't God in the beginning say, remove your sandals. This is holy ground. Yes, That's a part of it. So he was grounded. So (laughs) that's what I'm, that's where I'm getting at here. God literally said, Hey, you need to be connected to the earth for this to work. And so it was like, he was setting it all up for it. And I don't know, maybe, not being connected to the ground was another thing. Like, cause you can discharge that energy that way.
2: Yeah. So
0: everything's put there for a reason. And I don't think you and I are going to get a better answer than what we just came up with. But I want to throw out there for our listeners, um, especially the one who asked that
2: the understanding that I'm coming from, there's one really good teaching that I would, and I'm not saying it is the answer. I'm saying, it's a very good argument. So there's a ministry called MTOI. M is in man, T is in Tony, O is in oyster, and I is in uh, indigo. Just very easy words to remember. Mm-hmm. Um, Steve Burksin, they call him Rabbi Steve. He runs a church. So it's like a Hebrew roots church um, kind of thing. And he has a sermon series called, do you know the father and the son? And it's a very good series. It's definitely worth listening to. He connects a lot of things in here. Um, Things that, I mean, he, it's like a, like eight hours of sermons or something like that. So like, we'd spend a very, very long time just touch skimming the surface of this um, to try to give you the understanding. Like in back when I was working on that small farm with all the birds. I listened to that series. Like, for a week straight over and over again um, to try to remember some of the references and stuff and like a lot of it, and it is a lot of information but it's worth listening to if you want to like if you take this seriously and you want to see why why I'm saying that I think that this is pre-incarnate in Jesus because um, I think he says that actually in the Gospels he says something along the lines of um, no one has seen the, the Father heard his voice and like, if he's the Messiah and we believe he's the son of God and we believe that he's pure and all these things, then that has to be true. And if that's true, then that means this couldn't have been the father talking to them, which means it would be him or an archangel or something speaking the father's words for him. Um, but another one more thing to touch on in this is that there's a term in Hebrew called Yahid. Um which in John three sixteen is translated only begotten, which is a dumb term, because Yahid means one flesh or like one of my heart or it implies a oneness that when it says it's the oneness of when Adam and Eve, like when it says Adam knew his wife, and they became one flesh. It's that kind of oneness. And I'm not saying the father and the son are sexual. I'm saying that the son comes from the father in that sense that he is perfect representation.
0: Well, I'm glad we got to talk about that. The other question from anonymous was how can the earth not be flat based on what the Bible says, specifically bringing up the firmament and the four pillars of, that the earth is built on. Um, it wasn't a malicious question. It was just basically laid out just like that. And like you said, the last one, I have a really easy answer for that. And then we just talked about it for 40 minutes. So (laughs) I have a really easy answer and it's iconology slash symbolism in the Bible is where I get mine from. And it's very, uh, scholarly. I know I've been listening to a lot of really smart people lately and I actually understand what those words mean so I can say them. <laughs> yeah. I did try to look it up a little bit and there were a lot of references to be honest when I when I googled the situation because I'm just kind of a google whore when it comes to these things and kind of get in there and sift through what probably is or isn't an actual thing. I want to preface it with I don't believe what NASA says. Almost anything NASA says is true I'm talking about the space program Here in America Um, We can put on our tinfoil hats I wanted to get a drop That sounded like a tinfoil hat Being like crumpled So I could play it when I start talking like this So That leads into What images of outer space Are Real and not I know that I personally have seen through a telescope lens planets similar to imagery that is like a, when I was younger, teenager, went to the observatory here. We we looked at Venus, looked kind of like a blurry picture of pictures of venus that they show and so i'm like okay that probably is about right and it looked pretty round and spherical because of shadowing people would be like well what if it was an image in there well i don't think that the deception is so big that my local observatory in northern michigan in 1990 something was putting images in there to fool little kids I just I just don't feel like that's a thing I think if it was like that and it was on a, a local the deception was on a local enough level that we wouldn't there would be more people talking out about it um I mean there are a lot of people talking out about it but i just I feel like it would it would be a different discussion what if they're all deceived they're all deceived all of them
2: can't talk about talk
0: out about something if you, you think it's true well i'm talking like if if i looked through a telescope and there's an image implanted in that telescope to make me think that i'm seeing it then those mm-hmm. are people that are using the telescope and they would have to be on board with the bigger narrative and i just don't feel like it's it's possible for a small town observatory and all over the world for this to be happening i just I, well, and I'm,
2: I'm not saying that I necessarily believe that either but the argument I've heard is what if there's like something built into the telescope that they can move around the telescope and they think they're looking at the sky but it actually just shows them an an image in that area of what they're supposed to see and they think they're actually showing you the planets but yeah. they're, they're exactly good. and that's even like to that level so when the telescope is made it's made like that um, I don't
0: know I'd, I don't believe most
2: things anymore.
0: So. That <laughs> I think that's too much. Everybody, even conspiracy theorists, 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 have a line where it's too much. I think that's too much. I've witnessed some, and I, it's always a third company app that's telling me exactly what it is, but I'm like, I think that's a planet. And then I'll pull out the app and it's like, it is. You know, and and so there's astrology involved in all of that. I feel like I've seen a spherical heavenly body out there, planet. So that planet is that way. And there's little evidences here. Now, without pulling up the biblical references, and that's where I lose a lot of people because they want that as concrete proof. A lot of people do. But... I think this is my belief that when it talks about the earth being built on four pillars, it is talking about the elements and the elements, not the periodic table, but the elements of fire, air, water, and earth. And everything. Can I touch that, on that? Yeah, go for it. Yeah, cause it,
2: it, we, we talked about this a little bit the other day um, so I, I think it might be talking about something different um, and I have a few crazy theories that are out there which I'll go into once you're done but the earth, wind, fire, and air um, people think that's a non-scriptural um, idea but God is actually I uh, I'm not going to remember the references, but I'm going to try to remember what he calls himself. But so the Ruach or the spirit is wind, right? It means wind or breath. Um, The, it says he is a consuming fire. It says that he is the rock of our foundation. He is our cornerstone. Um, And he is the spring of living water as well. Right. So God is actually described through the scriptures in multiple places, multiple times. And the rule in scripture is it has to be at least twice to start to build a doctrine off of it. That's how it comes out of three
0: times, but that's pretty much the same thing
2: by the mouth of two or three
0: witnesses. Yep.
2: So it's at least twice, and then you can start to look into it as a more serious concept. So, um, a lot of people try to grab one verse and say, this is my doctrine that you're really off. But if you have two or three things that are aligning and everything's within context, then it, then you start to see things. Um, and uh, there's lots of references to those things throughout scripture. So I, I just wanted to say the elemental idea has been hijacked and it's, it can be hijacked because there's truth. This all
0: I'm getting. At. Well, and, and it's a, a book I read about the, the four or five or six, or I don't know, it was like a year ago now, um, Keys to Hearing God's Voice, and a couple other things that I, I read, and it's it's a term where it's, it's not new, it's true. They're talking about new age and how it's so close to true, what they're calling Christian mysticism, that yeah. it's just that off tilt just a little bit. what i'm getting at is i don't see with my eyes anything on this earth in this existence that i've lived that isn't made up of one of those four elements in some way and so that includes metals and crystals and dirts and and everything um being part of the earth obviously Water is essential to pretty much everything that happens on this planet. Fire is a big deal, and that's where the sun comes in too. Um, wind is probably the one that I understand the least, but it really could be more talking about um, spirit because the waters, we can argue that the wind and the air are part of the waters and part of the firmament um because i think the levels of the firmament start right here in the air that we're breathing the atmosphere and go up from there mm-hmm. in levels well and they do
2: the, the first heaven is the, the sky just above us right
0: and so that's where my belief lies and kind of why and i've heard um, biblical truths that support that I've heard people use the Bible to try and tear it down but I choose to believe the biblical truths that support it if you guys want references message me and let me know I'll get them out them to you but I'm bad at those so I'd have to actually dig them up you'll probably have a better chance of figuring it out on your by, <laughs> on your own through like Google and, and a Bible to, to really look it up. But I, I will if if somebody wants to. I know Lucas has more insight and a slightly different belief. I'm open minded and willing to change my beliefs. Obviously I've done that quite a bit recently. Um so I'd like to hear what you have more to say. And mm-hmm. oh what I what I skipped over was the air that we breathe is actually part of the waters just because of how atmosphere works. Yeah. because air is a liquid air is, is a liquid. So when they're talking about wind, they're talking about spirit or energy is what I'm, um, I'm getting at there. Cause that's there's definitely something
2: to that in scripture because it, it says, and he breathed into them the breath of life and man became a living soul, which is the Hebrew word for a, a living flesh. And, it also says somewhere that like all things, all things that have breath will praise him, and things like that. And it's like so having breath. Not everything that's alive breathes. Well, actually, I don't know because I was going to say trees don't, but actually, they do. Right. They just breathe in the opposite of us and breathe out oxygen for us. So, like, I guess probably probably every living substance. I just don't have understanding of all of them.
0: Well, that's another but point is where the waters in the air and the firm and being different elements, like there are things that breathe water. Um, and I'm not yeah. just going to throw fish out there because they breathe oxygen out of the water, but they just have an apparatus that breathes that. And, and technically, if you go into kind of the astrophysics of it, I think is the proper, it's probably the wrong term or the wrong industry, but... <laughs> um if you look the the water on this planet is a level of atmosphere it it really is like you just go down into it and then there's other elements further down there that they found not elements but other other substances there's that are pools of it even even lower so it's like the air that we're breathing is just a liquid that's pooling above the level of the water And you can do that with, like, oil and water and other substances in in a lab and and see how that works. And they say that that's how they believe some of the gas giants work, is it's just different levels of gases and liquids. And, Mm -hmm. you know, you can see there's a drastic change between our first level of firmament and the waters. But... That's kind of where I start to lose steam on it. No pun intended.
2: Yeah. Well, let me uh, touch on it a little bit. So yeah. If you talked to me about this two or so years ago, I would have been very close to trying, and I don't know if I've ever told Mitchell this, Would have been very close to trying to convince you that the earth was like a snow globe.
0: You, we
2: went over it. A so bit. We touched on it. Yep. Now I have a different viewpoint and my different viewpoint comes more from testimony of people who have been involved in mind control programs and satanic ritual abuse and are getting their memories back and have memories of going
0: to space interruption now. Okay. <laughs> I just want to plug Dan Duvall and the bride ministries. You can move on from there. Everybody check them out. Yeah.
2: Yeah. <laughs> Good good plug. (laughs) Uh, Be very careful. Go into it carefully. That's my
0: plug. Um, Uh, This is where you're going to learn more about this stuff in a really good way. So, anyway, carry on.
2: And so, I will throw out there that in the snow globe model, and if no one's ever heard of the snow globe model, like flat Earth is a stupid idea, straight up idiotic stupid idea and you see it all over the internet and I say that in the way that like when people say like it's a disk floating in space and and, like because what people think of in flat earth concepts like you say the earth's flat and they think you're like talking about a pizza box that we live on and like so, so I hate the term in general um some people would call it biblical cosmology And it's like a snow globe. You have the foundation of the earth, the pillars of the earth that are the foundation. You have the ring of ice around the earth that Mm -hmm. literally is part of the foundation of the firmament, which is like potentially multiple layers of the snow globe, like structure over top of the plane of the earth, which actually is probably look, it's more like it's probably raised kind of in the middle and then like drops down and then lifts to the side because of gravity and rotation. Like I It's kind of crazy. Like, they go into it a lot more than I even understand. Even if it is more of a flat plane in the middle, we're not talking about a pancake floating through space. That's ridiculous. And I don't think anybody that's ever taken it seriously was talking about that. I just want to throw that out there. Like, for those of you that are, like, flatter, just come on, this is absolutely ridiculous. I agree. For what you're (laughs) thinking, it is absolutely ridiculous. But you get into the snow globe thing, the Bible... They call it biblical cosmology because there are ancient writings that represent the world this way. And they say that the Bible is one of them. The problem is that depending on how you read the Bible, including the Hebrew text and the Greek text, you can believe it's the snow globe model or a globe in space. You can get both at all the scripture that tries to tell you, that it's flat and that people use to describe it as flat depending on how you read it and how you translate it can also be described that it's a globe floating in space, which is really a problem for the argument when you can use all of the same verses for the opposite sides of an argument. Right. It gets really messy. For me, it could be that more globe global, which I can explain a lot more. Like I understand a lot more about it, but, um, and that when people are going to space, they're actually going through portals, to so like a different dimension mm-hmm. or something, as they go through the firmament. I think Babel makes more sense if they're trying to break through the firmament, which in Hebrew, by the way, is Shemaim, which means waters. Mm-hmm. Um, in Genesis 1, it says that there are waters above and waters below, and he separated the waters above from the waters below which that goes into the sky that we can traverse through planes and things. And then there's a barrier. Um, and we've been told it's the atmosphere getting fast enough and it makes things really hot cause it's really dense and could be really dense. Could actually be a solid object. I don't know. I've never been up there. Um, hmm. really uh, without taking forever to explain things. And I just want to say I've looked at both sides. And it's really hard. Like, it's not something that I would, I, I would never die on that hill on either side. After I know people that would, that they're like, the earth is flat. If you don't believe it, you're an idiot and I will convince you of it. I've watched all their evidence videos and stuff and it's compelling. And so is the other side.
0: Well, um, I also want to throw in there real quick that I've come to believe, I don't have a full belief on this. But the waters above and the waters below. When we're mm-hmm. talking about the humans that inhabited the earth, we're not talking about just the surface. Um, that's a belief that I have, and it may not have just now. You're gonna take it off dude <laughs> But um, <laughs> I think the waters above might be the waters that we see here on the surface. Or maybe atmosphere and and whatever, but I also believe that there were specific waters beneath the surface that were separated from the oceans, lakes, and streams that we have here on the surface. And that is my my main structure for this. Is I'm doing do what you just said not to is the passage with the flood where it said the springs opened up and the water came up from the earth. And I don't think it's worded exactly like that, but. Um, It it does
2: say that there's a reservoir underneath the earth and that's where most of the water went back to. Right. But it also says that gates opened up in the Shemaim, the water, which is the heavens and waters poured out from above as well. And that before that, it had never rained. Right. So I'm not saying you're wrong. I'm saying I think it's both.
0: Right, and that's kind of where I, I'm getting at too because I didn't really mention the the up high ones. But there is a, a lot. Of, and there's actually, I've watched a video. It's been a long time, so I'm not going to be able to explain it well. And we're running short on time here. But um, where they're talking about scientific evidence that it didn't used to rain on Earth, clouds didn't really exist, and that there was like a, there was a, a mist that went up from the ground mist that went up from the ground but also yeah, like a like an, like a like a layer of the atmos upper atmosphere that was like actual water that was brought mm-hmm. down during the flood and I don't know where I sit with that I really don't I have more of a belief in the the waters from that underneath earth the reservoirs within the earth um there's something to it. There's only something to it. I'm just not there yet.
2: Um, well, and I have, before we hit our two hour mark, is this going <laughs> to be our stopping to be on YouTube? If we can be on YouTube. <laughs> um, I, I have, yeah, I have a crazy theory, and I didn't explain this to Mitchell. I've touched on it before because some of it comes from Tolkien's writings, but I heard about through a Dan Duvall teaching from Bride Ministries, Mm-hmm. serving truth well great guy another
1: quote
2: uh, <laughs> so in first chronicles 24 through the next few chapters um they talk about the um priestly schedule for the temple service in the temple for the entire year and how it's divided for singers or priests or with everybody. There's, there's all sorts of different stuff that talks about that. It's really boring, but it's really important to have a tribal for things like this. So the calendar was 360 days.
0: 13 months. No,
2: 12 months. 12 months 30 days each. Mm. Exactly. I believe. I, I just do the math on that. Either way, it comes out to 12 months, 13 days, or not 13 days, 30 days. No 13th month. There's nowhere in the Bible that actually really tells you there's a 13th month. 13th month. There's people that try to tell you there is, and this is a big thing in the Hebrew roots movement. Everybody fights over the calendar. They fight over whether the earth is flat and what calendar we're supposed to be on. And I've spent a ton of time on this calendar thing too, because I'm like, if we're going to keep the Old Testament the um, Holidays, holy days, you have to know the calendar so you can keep them at the proper time that they keep it in heaven, as it says in Jubilees, mm-hmm. that the angels keep these feasts. We want to keep them with them. Well, none of the calendars work. None of them. I've heard 30, 40 different types of calendars. I've heard a guy who came up with his own that had an extra holiday, extra day added to a holiday because passages and books that were taken out that helped but it was still one quarter of a day off and you still had to make up for that leap year problem that we have mm-hmm. um, and you can't find a calendar that works in scripture was Joshua's well so yes and that's, <laughs> that's the point I want to bring up yeah. Joshua asked the son to stand still something happened there and there. In that Dan DeVille podcast, he brought up a guy. I've never heard this until like a couple weeks ago. And so this actually made the calendar thing make more sense to me. There's a guy named Emmanuel Velikovsky. Hmm. Um, I'm going to spell it real quick if you want to look him up. I-M-M-A-N-U-L-V-E-L-I-K-O-V-S-K-I not how I thought it was going to be spelt. So I had to like type it a few times so I found him. Mm-hmm. Um, he has a book called Worlds in Collision. And I don't know when it was written. It was written a while ago. But he studied ancient texts from all over the world about um, catastrophes that have happened throughout time. And there's an ancient text from about 400 years before Christ, about the time of Isaiah, um, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, somewhere in that time period, that says that there is some sort of catastrophe and afterwards, and I haven't read the book yet, actually, I ordered um, It's going to show up this week and I'll read it in the next month or so. Um, a <laughs> catastrophe, and it says afterwards, None of the calendars that any of the people groups have worked anymore, and they had to scramble to try to figure out a new calendar because the calendars that were kept in ancient times no longer worked. Crazy, again. That's it's a a crazy thing, but there's historical proof that something happened that changed the functioning of the earth. really crazy concept I want to bring up. And I go back to J.R.R. Tolkien and his writings of the Silmarillion and the Hobbit and Lord of the Rings, which people think is fiction. I'm not so sure.
0: Well, that goes into yeah. that. I, I mentioned it to you a little bit earlier, but that podcast I listened to with Matt Miller in it, where he was talking about yeah. how the, I can't remember exactly what he said, but it was the symbolism in, in, movies and what he surmised was they're lying to you. This stuff has has biblical meaning. And he they talked about E. T. and how that's the story of Christ basically. And how you'll talk to was it Spielberg, I think, and or Lucas. I think it was George Lucas. Um Mm -hmm. and he'll tell you well, that's not what it was about. It was a Uh, Kind of a sequel to um, Encounters of the third kind Or something like that Uh, Close Mm -hmm. encounters of the third kind Um, But it's pretty obvious The symbolism that's in there And that's where I go I don't want to go as far As to say that they're blatantly lying to us Which I think a lot of people are But I think that there is spirit led little sneaky bombs because I think a lot of media and we gotta wrap it up and I shouldn't take much more time on this, but a lot <laughs> of media is propaganda and a lot of media is a dark, dark industry. But the spirit, the creator, whoever, has his hand in it. And when these writers are being you know inspired they're getting these truth bombs that are coming through and they're like, Oh, this is a really good idea. I'm going to put it in here. And it ends well, up actually be, being
2: somebody. They were channeling things.
0: Like they would channel something else. Right. So I want not go as far as Matt Miller, which I would love to have him on here and talk. I'm actually going to try and find a way to, to reach out to him. But, um, I don't think the blatant lying about it is an actual thing, but I think there is uh, unknown inspiration happening is the best way to put it. For I, me. I think they are blatantly lying to us, but who is Bezo as the great
2: philosopher uh, Kanye West would say? Uh, we got that quote <laughs> last year. It's a great one. Who's Bezo? Well, uh, I think that goes back to the discussion, but let me sum this up real quick before we run time. Because
0: I was gonna, I was gonna cut us off because we got about eight minutes at the most. So, okay. wrap us up.
2: All right. So to sum up, what I was getting at and why I brought up Tolkien is that in Tolkien's writings, and I don't remember where I read it. It might have been the start of Silmarillion. It might have written the end of the Lord of the Rings. It might, I, I don't remember. In his conception of Middle Earth, Middle Earth, it um, yep. <laughs> could mean many different things. It could mean inside. It could mean middle age of Earth. It mean a lot of things. Just throwing it out there. Not saying it's historical facts, but it might be historical fiction. Um, at the start of the story, the Earth is flat described as being flat some sort of model. Hmm. at the end it's not anymore
1: hmm.
0: i'm just gonna throw that out there that challenge actually really reminds really me of something crazy. tim, tim alberino said in a podcast i was listening to earlier today once one of their old their older ones but hmm. i think what we've we've done here is we've addressed the questions and realized that we have to have full episodes about some of the things that we wrote up from those questions.
2: Yeah. <laughs> oh, one more thing to touch on the, the pillars. Yes. It, it could be in today's context, if it is a growth in space now or always has been or whatever, could be a quantum thing. True. Higher dimensional. Just wanted to throw that out. there.
0: And it could be all of them connected. Who knows? Quantum, yeah. physical, you know, everything. Elemental, yeah. But with that, Lucas, I think we're going to tell everybody to, and I'm not supposed to talk about the time, but have a good night. Is there anything you want to say before we go? Um, I want to say who's day though. Uh, Minotaurs are real, and so are staters. Have a good night. And that sets us up for next time Good night you guys Thanks for listening to the Redacted Recover Your Mind podcast For more episodes Click the link in the description